Good morning. How's your weekend going? You really care? It's actually going great. It's going great, but we can't talk about that now. Hey, welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. Uh, my name's Jason. It's my privilege to welcome you here and open up the Word of God with you today. We'll be in Philippians 2, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. We're working through a series designed to understand what it means that we have a story, uh, that we want to have a story, we want to have a life. We're seeking to understand why our life means something, why our life has meaning. So we're walking through that together. Um, if you're new, uh, if you just showed up today because somebody said this is a good place to come or somebody drug you here today, um, we want to welcome you. Uh, it's always awkward going to a new church. I'm just going to tell you that. And this is the season when people are coming into the city and getting established in new areas. So uh, we want you to know that you're welcome here. And you may not be a believer. Maybe you're seeking that out or maybe trying to reconnect to church. Uh, you always learn in a community. That's the way learning works. So I'm going to encourage you that, hey, for a minute, speculate with me. God has a word for you today. He wants to speak to you personally, and he's going to do it through his word. He's going to do it through how we sing and how we join together in sacrament. So push into everything that God has for you here today. And here's one thing. Um, are you a complainer? <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a rough one. This is a rough week for me. You guys just have to listen to this for one hour or whatever on a Sunday. I had to look at this all week. It's going to talk about complaining. There's a guy by the name of Travis Bradbury. Uh, he writes on emotional intelligence and leadership. He recently had an article in Forbes magazine entitled, 10 Troubling Habits of Chronically Unhappy People. Well, guess what made the list? Complaining. You got it. We know this. We don't, we don't even need to be told this. We know this. One of the core habits of unhappy people is complaining. In fact, the data shows us as a culture, some could argue that we've never been more unhappy and we've never had more. We are a chronically unhappy people and we show that by what we say, what comes out of our mouth. Hey, do you battle with discontentment? Can I just, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I do. You struggle with that. Well, one of the ways to test that, because we can cover that over a lot, is what comes out of your mouth. You know, Scripture is very, very clear on that. Um, you speak out of the overflow of your heart. It spills out of your mouth. Um, well, here's another question. Should we be different? Is life any easier for a Christian? It's not. It's harder. Should we be different? Should we approach discontentment differently? Should we be less content than anybody else? Well, last week, Pastor Steve Reed was here. Love that guy. I remember, I'm just going <laughs> to throw some good things towards him. I remember seven years ago when I first met him, and he was in a membership class at this church, and he was wearing a little beanie, and he was just that guy, and he was sitting there with his shoulders kind of like this, and his wife was like taking notes, and he was just looking at his clock, couldn't wait to get out, and now he's, he's a pastor. He's God has really, really blessed this man uh, and this team over at Clarendon Campus. I'm preaching over there later tonight, but just you need to be encouraged. And they're not going to be with us much longer. They will be in a Tanis church before you know it. So just continue to pray for them. God is doing big things over there. And I just really appreciate um, him coming over here and just preaching to us. What a powerful sermon. 
But what he told us is you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who is working in you to work and to will for his good pleasure. But if you do not press into that, you will not understand what scripture means. But part of working out our salvation, as we see today, is this. Putting to death. This is the beginning point. This is the jumping off point of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. In the, in the knowledge that God is working in you to that end. It's putting to death grumbling and complaining and taking shots at people behind their back. That goes. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. Hey, I can obey God. Especially after last week's sermon. I can obey God, especially with his help. But man, if you're going to take away complaining for me, I don't know. That, that's the, come on, that's the last thing that I have. Do not pull that from my hands. You've got to give me the freedom to, to, to grumble and to complain. And the text just doesn't do that. Now, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, remember, he's incarcerated. He's more educated than most of us will ever be. He's in a Roman prison. He has lost his story, but he understands his life as a lived expression of the life and love of Jesus. And what he would tell you and what he is telling you is that the grace that you receive through faith is aggressive. The grace that you receive through faith in Christ is aggressive. It will aggressively put to death in your life everything that is dead. As we're unified to faith with Jesus, through faith, we die to sin and we live to God. And it's painful and it's hard. Let me tell you that. And if you've ever tried to stop complaining, you know what I mean. So here's what the text is going to tell you today. If you've understood grace, then it will replace grumbling in your life with contentment and with gratitude. It does that. It is aggressive. Grace will replace over and over and over Grumbling with gratitude. There's no such thing as just stop. You just can't stop complaining. There's no way to stop grumbling. You either grumble, either complain, or you shine, or you live in gratitude. It's one or the other. This is how salvation works itself out in our life. All right. So we're going to read the text. We're going to go in Philippians 2, uh, verses 14 through 18, picking up where we left off last week. All right. Text says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if, this is Paul speaking, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we can believe you for so many things. I can believe your creator and sustainer. I can believe you're the author of life. I can believe you for salvation. Can we believe you for this? 
Lord, this is your word. I ask that you would open up your word today, that we might behold its treasure. We give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. So grace is aggressive, yes. It replaces grumbling with gratitude. I'm going to take you on a journey through the text today, and we're going to see three things, how this happens. First, is, is grumbling is really the language of the serpent. And by serpent, I mean enemy. And by enemy, I mean devil. We're going to go there. So grumbling is his language, but it's ours too. So grumbling is the language of the serpent. Gratitude is the language of the spirit. We'll see that. And also this, gratitude is only satisfied when Jesus is completely glorified. When you're, you're never going to be more grateful in Christ than when God is actually glorified or smiling on how you're living, not just that you have faith in him. So we're going to walk through that together. Um, before we jump into this, before we understand what it means that grace replaces grumbling with gratitude, um, understand this. There's a reason you're so tempted to grumble and to complain and tear others down. And I'm just going to throw this out here. Following Jesus ain't easy. If anybody ever told you that faith is something that you just add to your life, it's like the spiritual compartment to your life. No, it runs you over. Grace takes over your life. It is hard. And we're talking to a church. Paul's talking to the Philippian church who had very many reasons to walk away from Jesus. They have external conflict. They're living in a culture, in a Roman colony where a bunch of retired generals and stuff live. They made out well as Roman citizens. And Paul in this little church is saying, no, you should actually worship Jesus as king. Like, what are you talking about? Rome gave us everything. Get out. And they had internal conflict. They had people within the church trying to deconstruct the gospel and say, well, it's, Jesus is good, but let's not be that kind of Christian. So there, there was really this internal conflict as well. It's where this, the average person in the seat was like, you know what, I don't even know if it's worth it anymore. You know, following Jesus is too hard. So Paul, they send an emissary to Paul. Paul sends back a letter and says, mm, push pause. He's everything. He's everything. So you're tempted because you're living a life of death and resurrection. God is putting to death through faith all that is dead in you, and he's raising to life everything the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. Period. It's hard. All right. The grumbling is the language of the Spirit. I'm going to take you on a trip here. It's going to go from the garden to the desert, so the Garden of Eden, right, to the desert where Israel was in exile to a degree, and into your life. So let's walk through that. Grumbling is the language of the serpent. Listen to this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Hear that. That you might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. First thing you must see, he's calling you something. You all live out of your identity. It feels like you're trying to build an identity, but you're not. You're living out of how you understand your life. So first things first. Paul is saying you need to live as children of God because you are children of God. He's not saying, hey, if you speak well or stop grumbling, then God will love you and set his grace on you. He's saying, hey, you are children of God. Through faith, you have been adopted by the living God. You have been transferred from slaves to heirs. Live as his children. Don't live your life to earn his love. You have it. He set his love on you. So therefore, put this to death. Live as a child of God. Learn to live in the divine identity that you have, not because you work for it, not because you're special, not because where you were born, because he loves you and you've received it through faith. 
So learn to live in that identity. So working out your, your salvation is really, in many ways, learning to live your story is, in many ways, learning to live in your divine identity. The child of God. Now, let me ask you this. Where do kids learn language from? It ain't school. Where's it from? Their families. Now, I've already gotten in trouble. I'll tell you why. I've got three kids, and I've got three grandkids. And one of those grandkids can talk. So my oldest daughter gets mad at me sometimes, because sometimes Pappy says bad words on accident. And sometimes my granddaughter repeats those. Full confession here. Hey, where did you learn that? Pappy said it. <laughs> Guilty. We learn language from our family of origin. Where did we learn to grumble? Genesis 3, 1. Listen to this account. This is a creation account. And it says, Now the serpent, representing Satan, representing evil, was more crafty or smarter than you than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He is so much smarter than us. Brilliant. Did God actually say that? I don't know. That's weird. Why would God say, I don't know. Hey, Eve. Hey, Adam. If, if God was the good, good father that he said he is, I'm just, I think it's really weird and inconsistent with that that he would re, to keep anything from you because love doesn't restrict. So I, you should check that out. That's weird. He planted the, spe, the seed of speculation, and it took root quick. And it pushes this constant question. Hey, what if God isn't good? Hey, what if God doesn't understand what I need like I know what I need? What if God says no? So the serpent plants this seed and begins a language, begins a conversation between Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve and God. Now let me quote God. Let me just answer the serpent's question. This is what God actually said, Genesis 2, 16. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. See how he fashioned that question? Hey, did God say you shouldn't eat of any tree? I don't know. Did, no. He, he did, wait a minute. What did he say? You should have everything. I've given you all of creation. But do not touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what that means. I will define good for you. You are not God. Trust me. I love you. Love me. I will lead you. Hey, side note. This is before sin entered the garden. Did, did you know that God saying no to Adam and Eve was an act of love before the fall. If you're a parent and you have a kid, do you, you know that. Part of loving your kid is saying no sometimes. Right? And if they're anything like my kids, they never complain or grumble. <laughs> you get it. Listen. You learned your language here. Original sin is not just that one act. Original sin means we, as a people, belong to a human organism that has been tainted where we do not want anyone else to have authority over us. It comes out as grumbling. We find it unacceptable to not be God of our own life. We find it unacceptable to not define good for ourselves. Know this. We all believe this. 
even as Christians, we struggle. So grumbling, this it comes out of this language the serpent has given it. So what is grumbling? It's, um, it's not like complaining. Complaining, I, I can complain to you just on the mic. Grumbling is kind of like when your teacher says, hey, this, this is due next Friday, and you're like, excuse me? I said, yes, yes, thank you, yes, ma'am. It's under your breath. It's a murmur. It's like off the side. It's grumbling. It's poison. Right? It assumes that God is not your good, good father. It grows out of heart that refuses to fully trust God always. That is the essence of sin. And it says this, you know what? I deserve better. So I'll take that under advisement. We're seeking God as, as, as not as to glorify him and, and understanding him as beautiful and glorious and the point of life. Um, as Ian said, is to worship him and to know him and to love him and to serve him and to be known by him fully. But now, like, God, what can you do for me? Work my agenda for me. And that's as far as we go. It says, I deserve better. I will be God of my own life. So this is where that language comes from. And it's the lingua franca of our world. Regardless of what language you speak, everybody knows this language. Everybody knows this language. It's the language of the serpent. I mean, life is like one big immersion program in this. So it, what does it do? It obsesses on the need. So if that's what it is, here's how it works. It obsesses on the need. Do you remember the story of Israel and Egypt? They're in the house of bondage. Pharaoh is using Israel, right, the Hebrews, to create um, all these buildings to work mud and straw and clay. And they were working seven days a week. And they cried out to God, where are you? Deliver us, save us. God sends Moses and delivers them out of the house of bondage, which amazing acts of power. And he brings them to this mountain that they would worship him and know him and give him his, the, the law that they might understand how to live in relationship with him. And they're like, hey, is anybody hungry? Maybe God just forgot about us. Let, let me read to you Exodus 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died in the hand, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. At least we had meat and ate bread to the full, for he brought us out into this wilderness to kill us. They actually had their prayer answered. They had success. I'm going to tell you, getting your way is almost the biggest temptation to grumble because you're like, eh, it's not good enough. You see that? You're like, I would have never done that. Yeah, you would have. I would have too. Here's why. Somewhere deep inside, when you grumble and you complain, you're assuming abandonment. You're assuming because your immediate needs and desires are not being met, God is just gone. He saw you when you cried out in Egypt, but he delivered you, and now he just left the scene. And I'm left here to figure this out on my own. You believe that. Grumbling believes that, and it's not true. What was their provision? I mean, God did feed them. Let's just say that. Maybe it wasn't what they wanted, but he gave them bread from heaven. He gave them quail. He made them choke on quail, actually. You know what the provision in the desert was? God. He wouldn't go in anywhere. He was with them. And if we understand right after that, they belong to him by his promise. They're children of God, if you will. They're God's people, if you will. He was always going to provide. He was their provision in the desert, and they seemed alone. So, yes, grumbling is the language of the serpent, and here's why. 
You know how Exodus 16 kind of ends? It says, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. When you grumble, when I grumble, when I murmur, you do realize what you're doing, right? You're grumbling against God directly. You're saying, God, yeah, I believe all this stuff, but you're not getting it right in my life. And this is going to happen when your success doesn't look like the success you want, when you suffer, when it feels like you're in the desert for too long. For too long. Hey, do you know this language? This has been a long week for me. You know why? Because I was trying to actually respond in faith to what the text is saying. Replace grumbling with gratitude. And it's, it's hard. I did, I had a gut check all the time. I am so fluent in grumbling, you don't even know when I'm grumbling. I am so good at sarcasm, I call it dry humor, but it's really just me feeling sorry for myself. Yeah, okay. So grace replaces grumbling with gratitude. First, grumbling is the language of the serpent. Second, gratitude is the language of the spirit. Now we're going somewhere. So how does this work? Well, let's go back to the garden. If we understand what it means to know God through faith, we understand that when you approach God and you surrender and you repent and you receive him, you become a new creature. Scripture calls that being born again or regeneration. You have a new birth sequence whereby all the things you used to think you wanted die. And in your heart of hearts, you you want God above everything else. You would let go of everything except for him. You want him to be pleased with your life. You want him to desire you and, you, and he does. Like You want him above everything else. That's new birth. That does not happen outside of the miraculous work of you responding to the work of God. That's what the Spirit of God does. So here again, another birth sequence. We learn our language from a family of origin. So gratitude is imparted to you in new birth. So you get a new language when you come to Christ. That's good, right? We should be excited about that. Learning to speak it is hard, because remember, the overflow of the heart is your mouth. Uh, But verse 16 says, holding fast to the word of life. So this is where new birth comes. Um, We learned this Christ hymn a few weeks back, and it explains what the gospel is so, so well. I can't find it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, gave up everything, becoming obedient to the point of death, not just death, death on a cross for us, absorbing wrath for us. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at his name every knee in heaven, earth, under the earth, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. When you understand that, when you let that be the weight that your life gravitates around, you cannot but start to speak gratitude. When you understand that God did this when you ran from him, and we still run from him, you cannot help 
we can be grateful when we understand that it's by his grace and not our works that what we deserve is wrath and we were given grace it builds a new language all right push pause for a minute here's something you may not know this language of the spirit also includes lament like i was not complaining no what's the difference between somebody who's complaining and grumbling and lament that we find in psalms because if, if you don't have a language of lament, if you, it's vertical. If you don't have a language of lament, it's going to spill out horizontal to other people. So I don't have time to go into it. Maybe when we get into a few weeks, we can talk more about it because it's really important. But lament is vertical. When you look at the Psalms, David or whoever the psalmist is many times, where are you, God? Now, is he doubting God? No, because he always puts his trust in the Lord. He's speaking to God like he has a relationship with him. In the Psalms, there's this assumption that God's promise is true and real, and David actually assumes as a child of God that his problems belong to God. Not that God is going to fix everything in his life. He knew that. But he speaks to God like a heavenly father. If you don't have a language of lament, if you don't know how to suffer and to grieve and to lament circumstances, if you don't know how to call God on his promises to you, but then trust him, it's going to flow out in other ways. All right, we'll get to that later. But what does this feel like? I want, I want to give you some language or at least a scene for what this could look like. Um, Colossians 3.16 is a great picture of what, what this new language of the spirit looks like. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Hold fast to God's word. Believe it. Hold on to it. Teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. You're not going to do it on your own. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're doing that today. And whatever you do, all things, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You are building a language right here, right now, as we sit under the word, as we sing it, as we receive it through communion, as we get together and we speak about the joy of what it means to belong to God through faith. So it's imparted through new birth. It flows out in our community. And guess what? Guess where this language is perfected? In the desert. Gratitude is perfected through loss. Now, if you're one of those people that are sitting here saying, ah, oh, man, this is probably a good sermon for so-and-so because they really suffer. And don't forget the context. The context of this letter is this. Because of Jesus pouring his life out for you, you've learned pour your life out for others. You've learned to empty your plans and your time and your preferences for other people in this community, in your life, in your neighborhood, in your city. You've learned that. So if you don't grumble or complain at all, if you're like, hey, I'm just basically a happy per person and I'm positive, are you serving? Are you pouring out your life for others? Because when you do that, you will be tempted to grumble when you suffer. And sometimes you suffer just because. Um, just because. So there are seasons that you're going to be tempted to grumble, and I just want to throw some of those out. Suffering, I'm just going to say I've never really had to suffer much the way that many people I know have suffered. There is such an acute temptation to complain and grumble during this season. 
man, we just all need to be aware of it. We need to learn how to serve people in our church that are really going through a rough time. You need to just make it good for them here. Can I just say that? How about success? This is the worst one. I'm going to throw it out there. When I am successful and my prayers are answered and it still doesn't work out, you're really going to grumble. Um, and sameness. It's mundane. Life is mundane. I get up, I do my thing, I come home. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of Netflix. Not really. There's just this got to be more. I, I'm trying to be faithful, but there's got to be more. Okay, so how do we do this? Well, instead of grumbling, here's an example. Here's just, here's some, I've just thought through these. Instead of grumbling about your spouse, because maybe they're not being very lovable or understanding, why don't you stop, thank God, that he's given you a life partner that's still there. Why don't you pray for them? And why don't you pray for better understanding? Hey, instead of like screaming at people through your car window because the traffic is just awful, why don't you thank God you have a car or that you can afford Lyft? Did you have a job to go to? Hey, and, and here's a big one, because a lot of times I'm going to hit you. I'm going I'm to take your legs out. I'm going to undercut you. Because in churches, this happens all the time. The leaders get tired of the people. The people get tired of the leaders. And then we're just like, hey, such and such. Man, it's coming. It's coming. You're going to be tempted to, you know, hey, you know, so-and-so in my community group, they're just really kind of a self-obsessed jerk. I don't really like them. Instead of doing that, why don't you thank God that you have a safe place in this church to learn the language of the Spirit of God and then learn it? These are just examples of how, of how we can in real time replace grumbling with gratitude. So are, are you a blessing here? Do you chronically complain about your life and your circumstances and other people? What language do you speak? Grace replaces grumbling with gratitude. And it's, last point, it's only satisfied when God's glorified. Here's the big test. Um, you know how, when you're really excited about something, even if it's a cat video on the internet, you will not stop until you drag somebody, you gotta see this, this is amazing, like I saw it last week, don't, I've gotten busy, or you gotta go to this game with me, you gotta go to this, this is the idea. Gratitude only really grows when you're satisfied only in the glory of God, right? And you will shine, verse 15, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Imagine what, like, think about where you spend your life, usually at work or home. Imagine if this week coming up, you refuse to complain, like just out loud to people, you refuse to grumble and murmur, and you refuse to take shots at people behind their back for one week. Man, I'm daring you to try it. This will happen to you. People go, hey, are you okay? Is it something going on in your life? You're shining. Sometimes we just shut up, and God works through it. Don't do that. They, they will ask you, are you, hey, are you okay? What's wrong? You're really quiet. Why are you never mad at anybody? Do it. Because you know what happens? That gratitude has to point to God. This is what Paul is saying. And you become an influencer for the gospel. You do that. 
Paul is saying this. Don't let me think I wasted my life on you, Philippian church. Don't let me, like, don't grumble and complain. Let me, on the day of Christ, when he comes, know this. That I didn't run or labor in vain. I didn't pour my life out to death. And you never saw Jesus. Like, hold to him. He's worth it. He's glorious. Replace your grumbling with gratitude. And see, here's the, the linchpin. If you don't believe that Jesus poured himself out, if you don't believe that the cross was for you personally, this is just not going to work. You've got to understand. Now, we're going to talk about you individually. You have got to understand that Jesus emptied himself off his throne, wrote himself into the story of humanity, took on flesh, walked in faith, obedience to the point of death, took on your wrath. He did this, not as an example for you, but because he's absolutely crazy about you. He loves you. When you feel the weight of that, all this turns. You'll feel the weight of God's love for you in the work of Christ. This is what Paul wants. This is what God wants. And it will breed gladness because your future is full of glory and your present is full of God. So I would, I would tell Travis Bradbury that complaining is more than self-reinforcing behavior. It is that. But here's what it is for you. It's exchanging your divine identity to live as a child of the serpent. It's his language. Don't speak it. Speak the language of the Spirit. Speak the language of gladness. Speak the language of gratitude. God calls us together as his people, as his children, to shine like that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I fully believe revival will break out if we can do this. It's more than we can do. It's more than we can handle. My prayer this morning is that we would see and respond to what you have done for us with true faith. And that you would build in us a new language that is filled with gratitude and gladness and rejoicing that is verbal and physical and just shows your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.